If you can be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been there the last two weeks and we're going to finish off Ephesians 4 this week. I'm going to read from 17 to the end of the chapter. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they've become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you didn't learn Christ this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each one of you, With his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil uh, an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labour, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share um, with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. If you don't know what Paul is saying there, he's saying no dirty jokes. All right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, I could go on to read most of chapter 5 as well, because Paul continues in the same vein. But I'm going to leave it there for the moment. But at the start of this, Paul is picking up a theme that he presented in the very first verse of this chapter. He said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In other words, if you've been called, if Jesus has saved you, if you've committed your life to him, if you've placed your trust in him for your future, walk in a way that lines up with that. Don't walk as you used to walk. Walk in a way that actually confirms what's already gone in your heart. And in these verses that we've just read, Paul is picking up this theme again, having gone through the whole theme of unity, which is part of this walk, and then service, which is part of this walk, in being the giftings of God that are released in the church so that we can all do the works of service that God's called us to do, because everybody's got a task to do, everybody's got a job to do, there's no one excluded, you all have a calling. That's what we said last week. And now he picks up again about values, attitudes and behaviours that are all part of this walk and part of this calling. And he does it with a series of contrasts. You used to be like this, but now you should be like this. He says we used to be darkened in our understanding and therefore just did what came naturally. If you're darkened in your understanding, it means you don't understand. I was going to say you're thick, but it doesn't mean that. (laughs) 
It means the light of revelation hasn't come. <laughs> You're thick. <laughs> yeah, ignorant is probably a better word. <laughs> and he says people in the world haven't had that light of understanding come to show them right from wrong, good, and how to work worthy, worthy, worthy of their calling. And so they just do what na- comes naturally. They live out of what their understanding is, because their understanding is darkened as to the truth. But now we've come to Christ. Our minds need to be renewed, he says. Renewal of the mind, so that we don't walk that way anymore. And that's all about our values, our attitudes, our behaviours need to change to line up with that which we have now committed ourselves to. Verse 22 tells us to, to put off the old stuff. Verse 23 tells us to put on the new man. And it's like, I'm wearing a jacket. Sorry, scar. This is my old, well, it's actually quite a new jacket, but this is my old jacket. All right? My biker's jacket, as it happens. If you saw my bike out there this morning, you'll know I actually use it, not just as a garment but I actually will use it usefully. So I'm going to put off this old jacket. Put on. And put on this new jacket. That's what God's called us to do. Our old life represents the old jacket. Our new life represents the new jacket. And that's what Paul is saying. That's the imagery he's using in this passage. That we put off those old values and attitudes and ways of being. And we put on the new one. So that, and it's part, the process of doing that is renewing our minds. So that our minds are filled with values and attitudes and behaviors that come out of our new life. Not out of our old life. When you get up every morning, you've got the choice to put on an old set of clothes, perhaps the ones you wore yesterday, or to get a new set out of the drawer. What are you going to do? Well, most of us, well, some of us. (laughs) I better stop here, hadn't I? (laughs) We'll get the new set out of the drawer. Well, that's what Paul is telling us to do. Put on the new clothing. (laughs) Then go and wash. Um... And this is all about right and wrong. You see, people who don't know Jesus make up their own version of right and wrong because there's no guidance in society. It's called relativism. And the presiding value of society now is that I'm not answerable to anybody else and can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. William Ernest Henley summed up this up in his poem Invictus. He wrote, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scrolls. And he's talking about the gate to heaven. It doesn't matter about judgment up there, he's saying. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's what he was saying. I'm not answerable to anybody else. Oasis said something similar. They said, I'm free to be whatever I Whatever I choose and I'll play the blues if I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's what it's like for people out there. Not answerable to anybody. 
sure, we've got to comply with the laws of society if we don't want to go to prison. But actually, I don't want anyone telling me what to do, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. I'll make it up for myself, and I'll choose my own values. Ring a bell? I'll determine my own destiny. And of course, we do have a hand in our destiny. But when we come to faith, we surrender that to God. I'll read Ephesians 4.19. This is um, New King James Version translation. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Sorry, it's the New International Version. And every kind of greed. I'll read that again, New International Version. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. Is this not a picture of our society? Having abandoned God, our society pursues hedonistic pleasure at breakneck speed, with no thought of restraint. And furthermore, we're now living daily with the results of the greed that Paul talks about, as the banking crisis takes a grip on the economics economics of the world. And all around us, we see moral economic and political decline as each person pursues their own interests regardless of anyone else. See, the result of removing constraint, of removing moral values, of removing um, that which teaches people right and wrong is not liberty and freedom but decline and bondage and that's where we find ourselves in our society but Paul tells us that we should not be like that we no longer have our understanding darkened we've received revelation and light about God And God has given us his Holy Spirit and his word so that we do know what's right and wrong. Now, knowing right and wrong don't in themselves guarantee that we will do the right thing. But they do mean that we now have a choice. The choice to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Or to walk as people who don't know Jesus. What revelation brings you is a choice. You have the opportunity now to choose how you're going to walk. Whether you're going to follow and walk in God's way or walk as if your mind is still darkened. A few weeks ago, I was teaching on the foundations course on resisting temptation. And suddenly I had a revelation. Do you know what the problem with resisting temptation is? Do you know why we have such a trouble resisting temptation? Because it's the active denial or postponement of pleasure. The active denial or postponement of pleasure. To resist temptation, I have to deny myself some pleasure that actually I want. Whether it's to burst into flames in anger. That brings me some satisfaction in the moment, however destructive it might be. Or whether it's other kinds of temptation. The problem with temptation is it's actually self-denial. It's saying, actually, that thing that I'm being tempted with, I really want to do. 
I really want. It's going to satisfy something within me. But actually, to do the right thing, I've got to deny myself that pleasure. Not surprising that we all fall, is it? Because it's denying something that actually we want or feel we want. Temptation is only a problem to us because it promises instant gratification. And this is whether the temptation is to fulfill an appetite, to steal, to explode in anger, or whatever else it might be. And all of these things promise some form of gratification, even if the longer term effects are destructive, either to ourselves or to one another. And in the world, we're told, don't deny yourself anything. You can have it. It provides us constantly with one or other form of instant gratification. If I'm hungry, I can go and open the fridge. If I'm bored, I can turn on the telly. Of course, those things aren't wrong in themselves. However, they reinforce the instant nature of the world in which we live. Constantly around us, we can have whatever we want at the flick of a button. Or turning of a button or flick of a switch. And yet... Choosing to do the right thing means denying ourselves that which we are brought up to do every day of the week, every day of our lives. The idea of denying ourselves some pleasure or some form of expression just to higher values, because we have higher values, is completely alien to the world in which we live. We're told by advertisers, just do it. Well, ladies... Pleasure makes you beautiful. You're worth it, yeah. (laughs) All of these are incentives to indulge ourselves, to fulfill our own need of gratification. And from cradle to grave, we are brainwashed into being consumers without consideration of the consequences. And yet that's completely contrary to the values of the kingdom of God. This is where we need our minds renewing. You see, the fundamental value of the kingdom of God is self-denial. Not in the sense of flagellating yourself or something, if you get it wrong. But of putting others and their needs before our own. I'll say that again. Of putting others and their needs before our own. Of deferring our own gratification so that others can be blessed, encouraged or built up. Kingdom values include, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever would be the greatest should be the servant of all. And all of this is contrary to the values in which we are indoctrinated by our society day after day, every day of our lives. But when we come to faith, we enter a world of instant tension. Because suddenly we have our minds open to a new set of values which are in conflict with those that we've been indoctrinated with and we struggle in the tension between the two. And that's why Paul tells us, renew your mind. Allow the values of the kingdom to be that which determine what you do and what you say and your attitudes. Be different. And then he says, in in chapter 5, verse 1, which we didn't get to, Therefore, be imitators of of God as beloved children. And in the remainder of this passage, Paul gives many examples of how this works out in practice. And this verse, verse chapter 5, verse 1, is the key to it all. 
imitate God. If you want to be good, do what God does. Be like him. Copy him. Because God is our father, and because he saved us and enlightened our minds, we now have the choice to be like him, to imitate him, to do the things he does, to act as he acts, to copy his attitudes and and actions. In other words, living kingdom values mean copying what the father is like. Well, how do you copy somebody? What do you do? What's the process? You watch them, spend time with them. You have to get to know them. You can't copy somebody if you don't know them, can you? You, don't, you can't get draw on their attitudes and what they're like if you don't actually spend time with them. You can't copy someone who's only an acquaintance or whom you don't know very well. If we want to imitate God and take on his values, we first of all need to get to know him. And this comes through reading his word and talking to him. On the 8th of April 1978, some 34 years ago, Carolyn and I started going out. She was 14, I was 15. At the time, we didn't know much about each other. We courted for five years, during which time we found out a little bit more about each other. And one of the key things was we became best friends. The last 29 years, so now you know how long I've been married and how important next year is, the last 29 years has been a furthering of that process. We now know each other intimately, but each day is still a day where we can learn something more about each other. So it is in our relationship with God. Every day is a new opportunity to find out more about how the Father is, how he operates, what he's like, what his values are, what he wants, what he doesn't want. Each day is another chance for us to get more intimately acquainted with the Father and so become like him and start to imitate him. When we come to faith, we come into acquaintance with God. We immediately start to love him as we know, come to know all that he's done for us and how much he loves us. But that's just the start of the journey. We spend the rest of our lives getting to know him more and more. But like any relationship, if we don't invest time in spending time with him, we will not get to know him. And doing the right thing instead of being an imitation of a loving father just becomes a bore and a religious chore. And so it is with many. Doing the right thing shouldn't be boring, shouldn't be a hard work, shouldn't be a chore. It should flow out of our relationship with God. And therefore, if we struggle to do the right thing, don't just try and do the right thing a bit more. Get right and get sorted with God and spend time with him. God never meant being good to be a chore but rather that it would flow out of our relationship with him. Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing. And in the same way, our attitude towards God is the key to doing good. You see, if we see God as a spoil sport, 
who wants to take away our pleasure, and who stands with a big stick waiting to punish us if we do wrong, walking light rightly will always be a chore. But God's not like that. If we see God as a loving father out for our best, wanting to bring us not just pleasure, but satisfaction and fulfillment, then we will embrace this walk of faith and seek to imitate the father who loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us. just want to pick out from verse 24. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The two words used there are familiar words if we spend time in church, righteousness and holiness. But they have a very specific meaning in this passage. Righteousness means conformity to all that God commands or appoints. In other words, as we choose to imitate God, we will conform to his standards, not the world's standards. Holiness in this context means keeping the ordinances of God. In other words, as we choose to put on the new man, we will keep his requirements. We will line up with his righteousness and his holiness by just being like him. They come out of our embracing as priority. Our relationship with God. You see, doing good, doing what's right, should not be a burden to the people of God. It should be the natural outcome of our walk with God. And making the choice daily to imitate him. Now each one of us confronts temptations daily. Anyone not confronting temptation daily? You must live in a different world than I do if you do, or don't. Each day is a day of temptation. Things will come our way. And probably most of us each day will fall at some stage. Does that make the whole process invalid? No. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Causing disruption over there. (laughs) Can I continue? (laughs) Right. You see, we do fall pretty often, most of us. We get it wrong. I'm confessing I sin every day. But Jesus says there's no condemnation. I don't have to live under the burden of the condemnation of the fact that I get it wrong every day. Further, he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't have to live under my failures as a burden upon my shoulders. Because I know they've been dealt with. I know that Jesus has died to forgive all my sin, to cleanse me from all my wrongdoing. To set me um, on a new, in a new way of walking in righteousness. 
I don't have to carry that burden of guilt because I get it wrong every day. Because I've got a loving father who will receive me, not on the basis of how good or bad I am, but because Jesus is my righteousness. He's died on my behalf. He's paid the punishment for my sin. And I am received and have access into the father's presence. So I can live day by day without fear of condemnation, without fear of judgment, but knowing that I have a choice to choose now to be like my Father in heaven. The incentive for being good is not fear of condemnation or punishment, but desire to be like my Father. And when we get it wrong, Jesus sorts it all out on our behalf. And coming back to the passage, Paul is telling us that we now have the possibility of a choice to walk a different way. Not as people who don't know any better walk, but walking in a positive way. Which flows out of our embracing God as Father. So just as I come to an end, I want to ask a couple of questions. Do you want to be a better Christian? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to do good? Then there's two things you must do. One, spend time with him. And two, make a choice, minute by minute, day by day, to be like him. Even when it means denying ourselves some pleasure that we might, might bring us instant gratification. For the longer term benefits as we walk out this path of righteousness are that we become like Jesus and we be Jesus to the world in which we live. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that Jesus has done on our behalf. Thank you, Lord God, that he's made the way open. Thank you that your Holy Spirit brings revelation concerning the truth of Jesus and concerning, Lord, all that we are in you when we commit our lives to you. And we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that you forgive all our sin. But I pray for each one of us, Lord, here this morning that we might increasingly walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've given us and that our lives might line up with the step that we've taken and that day by day we might become more like you imitating our gracious precious loving father amen